Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma allimna ma yanfa'unna wa anfa'na bima allamtana. Wazidna ilman wa amalan ya Rabbil Alameen amma ba'd. So to quickly recap uh, what, what the story has uh, been up until now, where we're at. So I'm not going to repeat from the beginning, but last or two weeks ago we discussed Musa salam had hurried ahead to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the meantime, a man named As-Samiri, he misled the nation of Musa salam. And that was despite the fact that Musa salam's brother Harun, Aaron, was present. He stayed behind to look after the people. Um, but still a group of them kind of strayed away and began to worship this calf. It was this, uh, you could say like a golden calf that this man, As-Samiri, had... Uh, he'll mention later on, like in verse 90, uh, 97, or rather 96, he'll explain what he did. Uh, but the point, the point of, the, of the story is that Musa then came back. Because Allah told him that your people have gone astray. You, let, you, let, you left them behind. You came to meet me, but they've gone astray. So he comes back. He's angry. He gets mad at his brother. He's like, I told you to take care of them. Don't let them go and start worshipping other than Allah. Like, take care of them. He said, what did he say? Does anyone remember what he said to them? What he said to Musa, alayhi salam? Anyone who was here? It was two weeks ago, I know. Long time. Yeah. Divided, yeah, he didn't want to divide his people, yeah. He said, I'm, I was worried that if I started to tell them that they're doing something wrong, that they might reject what I'm saying, they become their own group, they separate from everybody else, and all of a sudden, the one nation that we had that was one unified nation would divide into, into different, you know, parts. So he kind of preferred and gave uh, priority to unity. Musa salam was telling him, no, like, you can't do that, you need to... If there's something wrong happening, you should address it. So there was a difference of opinion among the brothers. Among the brothers and how they viewed the situation. Okay, we left off there, where he had just pretty much reprimanded his brother. His brother tried to explain why he didn't take action. In verse 95, Musa salam now turns from his brother and addresses, we could call him the troublemaker, As-Samiri. And he says to him, قَالَ فَمَا خَطْبُكَ يَا سَامِرِي Go ahead, read the translation, please. Okay. Moses then asked, what did, you, what did you think you were doing, O Samiri? Yeah, he says, قَالَ فَمَا خَطْبُكَ يَا سَامِرِي What's the deal? What's the deal, man? Like, what were you doing? What were you, what were you trying to accomplish? How, why would you want to lead these people astray? Right? Now he gives an explanation. Verse 96. He said, I saw what they did not see, so I took a handful of dust from the hoofprint of the horse of the messenger angel Gabriel and then cast it on the molded cow. This is what my lower self tempted me in. Yeah, subhanAllah. He said, Qala. 
بَصُوتُ بِمَا لَمْ يَبْصُرُوا بِهِ فَقَبَضْتُ قَبْضَةً مِنْ أَثَرِ الرَّسُولِ فَنَبَذْتُهَا وَكَذَلِكَ سَوَّلَتْ لِي نَفْسِي So he says, he begins to give an explanation for what he did. He began to rationalize the wrong that he did. See, Asamiri understood who Musa was, alayhi salam. He recognized this is a man who claims to be a prophet. He recognized that Musa, alayhi salam, had preached a certain belief to his people. Despite that, he actively and knowingly chose to try to mislead them. And then what did he do here? He began, he began to rationalize his wrong. Have you ever done that? It's almost like an ad hoc explanation. Right? So you do something wrong because a part of you is just naughty, just bad. So you did something wrong. When your parents asked, you came up with like a rational explanation. It's crazy how your mind can work in those situations, right? You're like, yeah, but you know, uh, I just want to make sure that that didn't happen. It's like, interesting. And we start to rationalize the wrong. This is something that I think is a very interesting thing to reflect on. The human being's ability to use their intellect for something negative. The intellect, which is meant to be a source of goodness and lead you to the truth. That intellect, which can lead you to the truth. When it's fueled by desires, when it's fueled by, you could say, flawed character traits, the same intellect can be used for negative reasons, for evil. The same thing. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I mean, think about, think about Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. What happened when he, when he went from being who he was before Islam to becoming the, the Sayyidina Umar that we know him in Islam? What changed? He was technically the same, literally he was the same person. What changed was, now the, the talents, the abilities, the way he thought about the world shifted. Prior to that, he was known to be a very aggressive person. Someone who would uh, attack people, someone who, would, who was very loyal to his people. Right? He was considered very strong, almost, almost aggressive in that sense. The same talents and abilities and uh, faculties that he had, after Islam became what? They didn't, Islam didn't erase them, rather channeled them towards good. And so that's something to think, to think about. Because you might have a, mashallah, a brilliant intellect, and you might think that's enough. As long as my intellect's really like strong and like powerful, like I'm able to think really strongly about things, then I, I can trust myself. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm so intelligent, like everyone around me admits that I'm very intelligent, so I think I can trust myself. There's a problem though. You guys you understand? There's a problem there. What's the problem? You might have a brilliant intellect, but it can be it can be used for wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? And that's what he's doing. He's rationalizing his wrong. Um, and I think that's something to, to, to be worried about. Is all my abilities, what are they being used for? Is, in and of themselves, are they good? Not really, not really. 
in and of themselves, my talents, my abilities, are not necessarily good. It's when I direct them towards what is good. And I hold myself back from, from allowing you know, the nafs, the desires, the ego part of me to really push and use those faculties and talents for wrong. That's what we see in so many people who are extremely uh, talented. When they change their lives, what happens? Usually, they're extremely influential people, very talented. They change their lives and subhanAllah, the influence just goes from being somewhat of a negative influence to being a very positive influence. Right? Do you get what I'm saying? Like Malcolm X. Malcolm X was not, he was talented from day one. He was talented from day one. But what was it being used for? Those of you who've read the, the, the beginning half of Alex Haley's autobiography um, of Malcolm X, you recognize the stuff he talks about. That's the same guy. That's the same guy who later on in life, subhanAllah, was one of the most influential people of his time. Till today, Muslims turn to him and his legacy for, for inspiration. It was the same guy. But it's taking those talents, those abilities, and channeling them towards the good. And for, for everybody that looks slightly different, by the way, turning someone towards good doesn't always look the same. So it's not that if, someone's to, if someone needs to turn towards goodness, that now they all just need to become this kind of uh, uniform individual. Everybody's the same. They're all just in the masjid all day. Nobody's doing anything else. That's, that's a positive transformation. No. Everyone can offer their contribution, positive contribution, in where Allah's placed them, and with the talents and abilities Allah's given them. And that's really important to recognize. So to take that intellect and use it for, for goodness, that's, a, that's not a given. It's something that we actively have to work on. Do you get it? How many of you have, have in, a, in a moment in life, You've seen the potential evil that someone could make of a situation flash through your mind. You're like, you know what, right now I could literally scam that guy. No, like, it just crosses your mind that right now that person has no idea. I could literally scam them right now. Your intellect registers the fact that they, that you are, you are able to use your intellect to kind of get the, you know, should we say get the best of them? Like, what do you even say there? Because that's a terrible thing. Do you get what I'm saying? It flashes for a moment. And then you tell yourself, no, astaghfirullah, like, why would you ever do that? No, that's wrong. So you don't do it then. Do you get what I'm saying here? And so, um, that's a really, thing, that's something to be worried about, really. It's something to really um, be concerned about. Is my talents, my abilities, my intellect, is it being used for good? Am I channeling it towards good? Um, and it's, it's something that personally I worry about a lot is really like, what am I doing with whatever Allah has given me? And Allah has given everybody something. Everybody has something to offer. And so the question is, you know, in which way are we going to use it? Okay. And, and, and if you think about it, that's what happened with shaitan, right? Shaitan was, was, was known to be of shaitan, to be a great worshiper. The moment he made a mistake, what did he do? When Allah told him, why didn't you prostrate to Adam? What did he do? Rationalize. Immediately. 
Oh Allah, I'm better than him. You've created me superior to him. That's a rationalization. And usually, why do we, do, why do we rationalize in those, in those moments? Why? So that we can sleep at night. Let's be honest. So that we can sleep at night. So our conscience doesn't eat us up. Do you get what I'm saying? This is something very interesting, actually. I don't want to go on a long tangent. Have you ever, and sometimes we have a tendency to do this, you see someone who is a victim, someone who's, who's been through something difficult, your mind immediately tries to make sense of it. Why would that person have to go through that? And you know what's the rationalization sometimes that maybe we say it, or maybe it just flashes in our mind. We'll say something like, they probably did something to deserve it. You know what I'm talking about? Something bad happens to an individual. We see it, one explanation is, yeah, there's an individual out there who did them wrong, who's a criminal. That's one explanation. But still, it begs the question of what? Of justice in this world. Why do some people just have to have bad things happen to them? So what do we do in our minds to kind of rationally help us sleep at night and tell ourselves that the world is just a just place? We say, well, they probably did something to deserve it. Oh, she shouldn't have been there at that time. Really? Do you see what we're doing there? We're rationally just trying to justify their being a victim. Just so that at nighttime when I go to sleep, I don't feel guilty about it. I don't sit there puzzled about justice in the world. Do you understand? We have to resist the temptation to do that. And we need to be ready to sit with the discomfort of saying, I don't have all the answers to what happens in the world. Because it's not my world. I don't run the universe. And there will be things in this universe that I won't understand. And I need to be comfortable with that. Rather than to use my rationalization to help myself sleep at night. Do you get what I'm saying here? And in the process you start blaming a victim. Like that's not, it's not a healthy thing to do. We do it though. We do it. Right? Okay. So... Shaitan, that's what he did immediately. When he made a mistake, what did he do? He immediately rationalized, tried to justify his mistake. And that's why he's shaitan. That's why he's rejected. Look at Adam alayhi salam. He makes a mistake. Not a sin. Not a sin. He makes a mistake. What happens? What's his response to the mistake? Rabbana zalamna anfusana. Oh our Lord, we've wronged ourselves. We've, we've made a mistake. Acknowledging the mistake right away. No rationalization. He could have though. He could have. If you know the story of Adam salam, you know he could have rationalized it. Oh Allah, I didn't, I didn't recognize that you were talking about, you know, all of the, the trees of this, of this species. I thought you were talking about that particular one. So I ate from, from that one. You know what I'm saying? Like, he could have rationalized. And why do we do that? Why do we rationalize our mistakes to other people? Why do we do that? Any ideas? To make ourselves feel better. To make ourselves feel better, sure. But I'm, I'm saying specifically in the context with someone else. So like, either you do them wrong in some way, or you yourself just make a mistake. And now, they see you, or they see what happened. And what do you want to do? Just to yeah, well why? Yeah. Protect, 
Ego, like that's really harsh, right? So protect your ego, but really just protect your, your own image, right? So you want to uphold this, and that's why it's really hard for perfectionists. Because a perfectionist will want to uphold perfection everywhere. It's not possible. You're bound to make a mistake. Right? So like imagine like you're walking and you slip on a banana peel. What's the first thing you do, y'all? We all do it, y'all. We all look around. Can anybody see me? And if someone saw you, what do you do? You're like, oh. And then you do what? You say, who put this banana peel here? And we start trying to blame someone else for my misfortune. It's not my fault I slipped. And it probably wasn't. It probably wasn't. But we want to like rationally justify that that's not, don't, don't look at me and make me uh, like feel bad. Let's find someone else to make, to blame about this. It's a natural thing we do. It's a natural thing. Sorry? Blame the banana. Blame the banana, right? Like you're supposed to be in the bin. What you doing here? Right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. As adults, if, an other, if another adult does it, we might be able to be like, oh yeah, he's just, he or she's just trying to save face. You know, we say, they're just trying to save face. But with children, with children it's different. I've seen this happen. And I say this, you know, a lot of people think that when I sit here and I talk about parents, they think that I'm sitting here just to try to criticize parents. Because, I don't know, it's fun or something, or it's a trend. No, no, that's not what I'm here, not, not at all. I'm saying this with the hope that, inshallah, down the line, you know, Allah willing, if or when you become a parent, that this sits in your mind. I've seen parents try to really maintain an image of perfection in front of their kids. The thing is, kids aren't stupid. They're not stupid. And so when the parent makes a mistake, and the child sees it and recognizes it, they know it's a mistake. And then when the parent tries to like justify it and say like, no, no, that, that wasn't me, or I, you know, I, no, that was someone else, or that's something else, that's not how that is, or you don't understand. The child's like, no, I do. I know that's wrong. I know what you did there. I know what you said was a lie. Do you know what I mean? And it's not small. Yeah, uh, we won't be home that night. Because, you know, maybe the parent doesn't want to hang out with that person. We're not going to be home that night. And on that night, they're at home. And the child's looking at the father like, Dad, didn't you tell them you're not going to be home that night? Aren't we like literally home? Don't worry about it, son. <coughs> Don't worry about it, son. You don't know anything. You're still young. You don't know anything. The child's like, yeah, I don't know anything. But I do know if you tell somebody that we're not going to be home and you're home, you're lying. Do you know what I mean? The child's not stupid. Now, the parent in that situation, imagine that the child goes and confronts and says, why'd you do that? And the, chair, the, the parent covers up and hides the flaw, the mistake, whatever it was, and, and doesn't admit it. They think, this is an interesting thing. As humans, we will think that the other person, the child, will still see me in positive regard because I upheld my image. I denied and I rejected the flaw from me. So now when my child looks at me, they're going to see me still in the same positive light as before. No. It's interesting how we actually have, how many of you have seen someone own up to their mistake and it only deepened your respect for them? How many of you, show of hands, how many people? Someone said, you know what? You're absolutely right. That was my mistake. I apologize. And you're like, respect. You know what I'm talking about? Like respect. Like that's, 
It takes a lot to do that. To own up to their mistakes. MashaAllah. Right? That's, that's the interesting thing that sometimes we forget. Especially as parents. Sometimes we forget. One of the things that we, we can reflect on is, well, imagine my job as a parent is not to be some perfect human being in front of my kids. Look, I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying that uh, the parent doesn't have to try to be good and, and like a positive role model. No, I'm not saying that. They should. They need to set a certain standard and uphold a certain, uh, a certain, you could say, dignity. But of course, they're a human being. They will make mistakes, the parent. It's an opportunity for, 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 for teaching. To show the child, this is how we recover from our mistakes. That, okay, you know what? I made a mistake. Yeah, I did. My son, my daughter, I made a mistake. Um, but you know what? I need to, I, I'm going to try to do better next time. I acknowledge my mistake, um, and I'm not going to justify it. I'm going to say, yes, that's my wrong, uh, but I'm going to try and do better. I'm going I'm to try to correct myself, I'll try to work on myself, improve myself, and do better next time. I'm going to try to avoid making that, saying that to someone that, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be home that night or something. I won't say that again. I'm going to do my best. And it really deepens the respect that a child has. Because it also teaches them how to respond. It's not unusual to see a child then say, well, my parents, they are my role model. They set the moral standard for me. They have taught me indirectly that we need to uphold an image of perfection. Because that's what they've done. It's not unheard of to see the child do the same thing. Do you get what I'm saying? And so that's something to think about. Is, it doesn't really, we think it serves our best interest to hide our flaws and never admit them and never own up to them, right? Because that way somehow we uphold some image of perfection. And the reality is it's not the case. It's not the case. People tend to respect more when people own up to their mistakes. So Adam salam immediately says, what, when he makes that mistake? Oh, our Lord... We've wronged ourselves. And if you don't forgive us and have mercy upon us, we will be from the losers. Immediately owning up to the mistake. That's a very beautiful thing. That's something to aspire to. May Allah make us from those who can readily accept and uh, make an effort to improve on our flaws. Then look what he says at the end. So he basically says, um, I took a handful of dust from the hoof prints of the horse of the messenger. The ayah says, مِنْ أَثَرِ Rasul Rasul here, you would translate it as, generically as, messenger. Here's, here's, here's an example of why you need tafsir. You can't just sit down with the translation and be like, oh, let me just make sense of this. Sure, you know, we, we do give the translation to people and say, hey, read the Quran. We do give it to them. Um, but usually that's just for the sake of them trying to understand the overall message of the Qur'an. Right? To understand the specific of this ayah, where Allah says that Samiri, Samiri says, I took a handful of dust from the hoof prints of the... Well, hoof prints already is... Uh, the translator added it. What it really says, min أَثَرِ rasul From the remnants, from the, the trails of the messenger. Who? One might think what? It's talking about Musa alayhi But that's not who it's talking about. It's talking about the, the angel Jibreel alayhi 
Because if you were here a few weeks ago, I talked about how Asamidi, this man, Asamidi, he was brought up, according to some narrations, by Jibreel. Allah had appointed Jibreel to bring him up. And that's crazy because Jibreel brought him up and he turned into like a mad mischief maker. Do you get what I'm saying? It's very interesting. And the Prophet Musa was brought up by Fir'aun and his family. He turned out to be what? A prophet. You don't know what people's endings will be. You don't know what people's endings will be. And so we can't be quick to judge. We can't be quick to judge. So he says, I, I took it from the angel Jibreel when he was and there's a long story to it, but essentially he was, he was there, he was traveling, I saw, he saw the dust fly up, he grabbed a little bit of it, he threw it onto this calf, and the calf started to make some noise. Anyways, at the end of the ayah he says, nafsi. <laughs> this is what my lower self, my nafs, my lower self, tempted me into, tempted me to do. Now, I want, I want to ask the question here. What he's saying here is, I saw the opportunity, my nafs like, prompted me to do it, so I did it. I did it because I felt like it. That's the translation right there. I did it because I felt like it. On what basis do you make the decisions in your life? On what basis? When you look at food, on what basis do you eat or not eat? Is it a basis of, do I feel like it? No, no, and you might, it's, it's an important question. It's something that I think about a lot nowadays, especially. Because you have to catch yourself. Self-awareness. On what basis am I making this decision? Like when I wake up in the morning, like how many of you, example, have some gym routine or some workout routine? How many of y'all? Something? Or at least planned, huh? A lot of y'all like, we, we planned it. We don't have it, but we planned it. How many of y'all planned? planned? I set the intention. Intention, right. Got the reward. There you go. But do you get what I'm saying? People have a plan. Where do we often fail in the plan? Execution. Why at the time of execution? What happens at the time of execution? What happens when it's time to execute? I don't feel like it. Right? We're at, we're at shoppers and we end up in Mississauga eating a lot of, a lot of food. Yeah. At the time of execution, what happens? We turn to what we feel. We say, what, what am I feeling? And on the basis of what we feel, we make a decision. And how often does that make us regret what we do? How often? Very often. Do you understand? And that's why it's really important, actually, to reflect on the basis of our decisions. Why am I doing this? Or why am I not doing it? Is it merely I don't feel like it? This is, the, this is the hard balance to strike. Because there's a, there is, we have to admit that there is value to taking, like listening to your body. You ever listen to your body? Well, what happens when you listen to your body way too much? And you might say that's not possible, but like I think it is, personally. I think it is. Right? And you say, well, I'm not going to do that. My body wants to eat that. I feel like eating that. I feel like, and as I feel, I feel, and you, you end up making decisions that are not, that you know are not. See, decisions that you know are not good for you. What happens when you start making decisions based on what you know to be what needs to be done? Immediately the thought comes up, I don't feel like it. But, and you tell yourself, it doesn't matter if you don't feel like it. 
Because it was never about whether or not you feel like it. It's about whether or not you need to get it done. And that can be very hard to do. It can be very hard to do. I have a theory here. I have no, no evidence for this theory. But I'm going to throw it out there. Right? I'm sure there's probably some folk wisdom somewhere that agrees with me. Inshallah. But let me know what you think about this. You ever seen people in pain? You ever seen how, how incredibly they can stick to a routine? The classic story of the dude who goes through heartbreak. And at 4.30 a.m., mashallah, crunch fitness every single day. Every single day. Like, bro, you had no motivation to be at the gym at all, let alone 4.30. And now the dude's there every single day. No, no, it's a question to ask. Where does that come from? There's pain. Hmm? There's pain. What do we do when we have pain? We numb our emotions. Because we don't want to feel the pain. So we numb them. When you numb your pain, you don't feel. So the moment the decision comes, do I need to go to the gym? How do I feel? I feel nothing. There is nothing to feel in that moment. Do I feel like it or not? I don't feel at all. I've numbed it all. Because I'm in pain. The brain just tells you that at that moment. Because that's, that's the only voice left. There's no voice left of feeling. There's a voice left of, I need to hit the gym so I can prove her that she missed out. <laughs> Do y'all know what I'm saying? You know what's funny? Some of, the, some of the brothers here, mashallah, I literally see them at the gym at 5.30 a.m. So they're like, Shaykh, we're not there for that reason. That's pretty funny. Um, but anyways, I, never, I don't believe you were there for that reason. You know what I'm saying? That's not, that's not what I'm trying to say here. But do you get my point there? Does the theory make sense? Like, come on. It does, right? Now I just have to find some evidence for it. That doesn't sound very scientific, does it? I got my theory already, and now I need to find stuff to prove it. You know, rather than... Okay. Anyways. That's something to think about. Do you get what I'm saying? Um, and the opposite, I think, is true, too. The opposite, I think, can be true, too. And that's, that's another story, but we'll stop. Right, so he says, my, my nafs, my lower self tempted me to do this. How do you hold yourself back from just giving in to what your lower self tempts you to do? That's a question, what do you guys think? Yeah. Going back to talking about values. Going back to talking about values, but like in what sense? Your system of values will determine what you do or don't do. Okay, okay. So if someone does give in to their nafs and do something that is wrong, would we say that's because their values are wrong? No, they might have just violated Right. How do you prevent violating your values? That's the question here. Right? There's this incitement of the nafs. You feel it. Right? You know, there's, mashallah, there's one sheikh in uh, California, a uh, brilliant scholar, mashallah, Sheikh Tamim. We read his book recently, within the last year, on, on Wednesdays, it was called Sacrifice. Maybe within the last year and a half. Um, mashallah, you know, he, says, he says, you know, desires, they're like a wave. You just have to ride the wave. They come... And at a certain point, they can be really strong, a desire to do something, to eat something. There's like this really strong point. But if you ride the wave, and just kind of ride it, don't fight it, just ride it, ride it. And just, you know, acknowledge that it's there. 
slowly it kind of dies down and just the waves keep coming but you got to keep riding those waves um, and recognize that you know you don't have to give in acknowledge them you can't eliminate them that's not an option it's not a healthy thing either but yeah anyways but yeah what do you, in the moment what could you do yeah Cost-benefit analysis, really, really. Um, no, no, it's, it's a good point. There's a challenge. There's a point. There's, I think there's a challenging point there, though, because desires just cloud your judgment. Do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes you're so overcome by that desire that it clouds your judgment. It's like it's like when people ignore not one or two or three red, red flags, a walking red flag. They ignore it, and everybody else around them says. Are you out of your mind? And the answer is, yes, actually, I am out of my mind. I, I can't see what's right in front of me. It's clouded my judgment. And the most painful thing is, you know, let's give a less, uh, a less, uh, let's use a, a simpler example. There's some food in front of you, right? And you really want to eat it. And like, how many of you experienced that? You look at it, there's like a strong desire. You know, intellectually, there's like this whisper in the back of your mind that says don't eat it, but you still eat it, and then immediately you have clarity right after you eat it. You're lo you look back and you go, what did I even see in that? Right? Like, what did I even see in that? Why did I do that? And you just kind of like, this clarity right after the mistake. And so that means that there wasn't clarity beforehand. Imagine you had the clarity post-mistake that you had beforehand. Sorry, imagine you had the clarity before the mistake that you end up having after you make the mistake. You probably wouldn't make the mistake. That means that there's a point of clouded judgment. So then to rely on your judgment, I think it might fail you. That's just how I feel about that. Does that make sense? You get where I'm coming from? Yeah. Self-awareness, mashallah. No, absolutely. I think you mentioned some very valuable points here. Because if we look at Islamic teachings, we start to see some teachings that, in a sense, guide us towards how one is expected to deal with their desires. And so, you know, we talk about triggers. Like, it's, 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 if you read anything about habits, right? Any, anything about habits or um, routines, trying to develop. They talk a lot about triggers. Islamically, we have the idea of what's called the ra'ir, which are, you know, the, the pathways that lead to something. The means that end up taking you somewhere. So that's why they talk about 
lowering the gaze. Why is that a concept? Someone might say, I'm just going to look. I'm not going to desire. It's like, that's not how it works. Do you understand? Like, that's not how it works. It's avoid the trigger. That's literally the teaching there. Avoid the trigger. Look down. And you might say, that's what I'm doing. I'm looking at my phone. That's, that's not what I mean. Don't look down at your phone sometimes. These are, these are questions to ask. You know, I remember there's one, one friend of mine. He used to say, bro, you know the explore page on Instagram? How long? He's like, how long? And he's not trying to give effect to what? He's just saying, like, dude, usually on, on, on like these apps where you are looking through your friend's content, you can control what you look at, right? Because you're literally choosing, I want to see this person's content, I want to see that person's content. You're literally choosing, right? But the explore page, it's like a lottery, right? And that's what the whole temptation is. That's the whole psychology behind it, is I don't know what's going to pop up when I hit that button. So let's see what pops up this time. Boom. Do you understand? Our deen teaches us of avoiding the triggers. Do you get what I'm saying? How many of y'all have this thing of like, we're not going to buy unhealthy food to bring in our house so that we're not tempted to eat them in the house? But then you see an ad, you know, with the, with the cheese pull? And you're like, yeah, Allah. Right? Uh, does anyone notice how like, there just seems to be more food ads in Ramadan? Or I, just, or I just noticed them more in Ramadan. I don't know what the story is like. I'm like, what's going on here? Right? So, to avoid the triggers, absolutely. Now, there has to be something within you that can combat the push of the nafs. And I think interestingly for everybody, it's a little bit different. For those who are more, you could say, uh, you could say inclined towards intellectualism, I think something like what you're describing of cost-benefit analysis or thinking about, is this really going really to be beneficial for me? It could actually help a lot of people. Like I've talked to people before when I ask them, like, MashaAllah, what keeps you away from sin? They say, you know, I reflect on whether or not it's going to be useful for me, helpful for me in the long run, it helps me stay away. I'm like, wow, MashaAllah. Because for some other people, that's not enough. They could know perfectly well that's not a good decision, and they could still do it. Because it's like their intellectual... Uh, Dominance of their personality is not, it's not strong. Yeah, yeah. So not really oh, uh, my and I were discussing, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the best ways to do it is to think, am I going to do this piece of it for the sake of Allah? Is it something that would benefit me in the Akhirah? Or is it something that I just want to do just because I want to do it? Right. Is this something that um, I could do to please Allah? Or am I fulfilling Allah's commands or am I fulfilling my desires? Now, so what are we looking at there? What, what's actually combating your desire in that situation? It's your spirituality. It's your awareness of God, like you said, the muraqaba mindset, right? That idea that Allah is watching me. That's also something that we find in Islamic teachings. The idea that no matter what means you take in the world, you could put up like a... What's, the, what's that called? The wall? What do you call that? The internet, you use a wall to block people. Like, firewall. Firewall. I want to say paywall, but I'm like, it's not a paywall, dude. It's firewall. You can put up firewalls, right? If you have a Wi-Fi, so those of you who have like certain Wi-Fi uh, providers, you can actually like time it. After this time, this device can actually access the Wi-Fi. Y'all know about that? Yeah, like you know, you could control the devices that log on to your Wi-Fi. So parents could technically do that. But 
None of these are foolproof. We all know that none of these are foolproof. Right? We know these are not foolproof. There's, a way, there's pretty much a way around everything. And the only true foolproof solution, that even when your parents aren't there, is for an individual to say, like you said, that no matter what's happening, Allah is watching me. And to have that awareness, to develop that awareness, to make that, like you said, a mindset, something you walk with every moment. And that could be what holds you back in the moment of when your nafs is tempting you. Does that make sense? Um, but, like, but like you said, there's a lot of self-awareness that needs to be developed to catch ourselves. And what you start to realize is we actually go through a lot of our lives almost on autopilot. And so we like very absent-mindedly, we expose ourselves to triggers. And then we're triggered, and then we end up making a mistake, and then we're like, wait, why did I do that? It's because you never caught yourself. And it's tiring. I know some of us are like, man, that's tiring to, to be so self-aware. To constantly be observing your own thoughts and your own actions and your own um, behaviors. It is a little bit exhausting at first, absolutely. But I think it's, it lies at the root of personal transformation. It lies at the root of personal transformation. You can't change something if you don't even notice it. You can't change something if you don't even notice it. And so it starts with that. Being more aware of ourselves. Anyways, we'll stop there insha'Allah. We'll continue from verse 97 uh, next week insha'Allah ta'ala. Jazakallah khair for reading. Um, insha'Allah ta'ala. أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير